Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Yeah, if I haven't met you before, I'm Gemma. I've been coming to this church for about five years now. Even if I have met you before, something you may not know is that I absolutely love sports documentaries and dramas. <laughs> Here is just a little selection of my favorites. <laughs> my, my flatmate thinks it's a bit strange, but I will uh, binge a whole series like Last Chance You very happily. Anyone else? Ted Lasso, anyone? Yeah, yeah? Okay, great. Why do I love these so much? I don't even know the rules of American football or basketball. Why do I watch whole series about them? What is it that makes me, me, turn to my flatmate and say, hey, maybe I could make it as a professional basketball player too. <laughs> you can imagine her expression. Well, usually these programs focus on a club or a team that is in some need of transformation. The people featured are facing some level of adversity. There's an underdog we are asked to root for. Without changing the way they play or the way they act outside of the sport, their chances of success are nil. Then enters some coach or player or sponsor who maybe, just maybe, can help turn things around. Sometimes they have great tactics. Sometimes they offer a second chance, shelter or forgiveness. So often it is these acts of unexpected grace, kindness, that moves a player or a team or even me as a viewer from a state of hopelessness to one of hope and action. We watch as a situation, maybe even lives, are transformed. It's inspiring. It is such acts of love, grace, and kindness we'll be thinking about today as we continue our series on Ruth. This isn't a book I had studied much before being asked to do a sermon on it. It had never stuck out to me before. But wow, I'm hooked. God is at work with the people in this story to transform lives, but over the course of this sermon series, we'll also see that he acts through this story to redeem the world. Before Ash comes and reads the passage for today, I'll give you some context about the book and what we have learned in chapter one. The book of Ruth is found in the Christian Old Testament immediately after the book of Judges. It is actually set in the time of the Judges. These were not happy times. The Israelites had turned away from God and the law of Moses. Individuals were raised up by God to fight for his people. But again and again, we see them fail with increasing dreadfulness. It is a bloodthirsty book full of battles and failures. At the very end, it says, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. The conclusion is that this, just, this is just not going to work. Israel needs a king. Here is where Ruth enters the story. Through her, God will establish a royal line. Compared to the preceding book, 
This story, although still full of desperate people in desperate situations, actually feels like a bit of an oasis. Not to spoil the plot, but there are no bloody battles in this story. <laughs> it focuses on supposed nobodies who actually turn out to be crucial in God's mission to redeem the world. Ruth and Boaz, a man we'll meet in today's chapter, eventually become ancestors of King David, establishing the royal line that eventually leads to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Last week, Holly did an amazing job, it was amazing, wasn't it? Talking us through the first chapter of this book, highlighting how crisis reveals character. Remember, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, had moved the family to Moab from Bethlehem to escape famine. Tragedy had hit and Elimelech died. Their sons who married Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah, also died. In a patriarchal society where value came from being married, being able to bear sons, these three women were left in a completely desperate situation alone. Naomi decided to move back to Israel, her homeland, and bless the two daughters-in-law, begging them to go back to their families in Moab. Orpah, very reasonably, did just that. Ruth, Naomi's other daughter-in-law, did not. Instead, she stubbornly clung to Naomi, intent on staying with her. She says this to Naomi, Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Turning away from her homeland, the gods worshipped in Moab, and her remaining family, Ruth continues with Naomi on the way back to Bethlehem. Once they have arrived, Naomi declares she wants to be known as Mara, meaning bitter. God has seemingly turned his hand against her. Her situation and Ruth's could not be worse. She feels alone and utterly hopeless. This is where we're going to pick up the story, and Ash is kindly going to read chapter two for us now. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz answered the, asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. 
and wherever you are, whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water the men have filled, from the jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. She sat down with the harvesters. He offered her some roasted grain. She ate all that she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an epath, which is about 13 kilograms, Gemma tells me. <laughs> She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish it harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. That's long. <laughs> Thanks, Ash. Uh, there's a lot going on in this chapter. To give you a bit of a roadmap uh, for where we're going for the rest of our time together, we're going to look at acts of loving kindness, what changes as a result of these acts, and so what. Sound good? Let's go. Let's first focus on Ruth and her actions in this chapter. At the beginning of the chapter, we overhear a conversation between the two women. Ruth says, let me go and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in, who, in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi barely says anything in response. How tired, hungry, and scared must these women have been? Out of this place of weakness and fear, however, Ruth chooses to act so she and Naomi can survive. She is utterly devoted to Naomi and is willing to do what it takes to ensure their situation does not become any more desperate. 
By going out to glean for food, Ruth is not playing it safe. As a woman, Ruth would have been utterly exposed at real risk of ill treatment or even assault. Yet she works through the day with little respite. She is intent on providing for herself and her mother-in-law. Now Ruth was vulnerable as a woman, but also because she was a foreigner. And not just any foreigner, she was a Moabite. Again and again in the text, she is labeled the Moabite. The Israelites and Moabites had a bitter history. In Deuteronomy and Numbers, it is recorded that the Israelites, freed from Egypt, went through Moab and requested food and water. The king, Balak, refused their request and expelled them from the land, hiring a man to curse them on the way. In Deuteronomy 23, it says that no Moabite may enter into the assembly of the Lord, even down to the 10th generation. These foreigners were not holy. In Ruth's time, the Moabites worshipped gods other than Yahweh. They were seen as a rival, as a threat to Israel. And the law said that there was no place for them among the Israelites. Even where people like her were allowed to glean for food, we can see from the passage that reprimands or attacks were entirely possible, likely even, for those who dared to glean what they could, especially those seen as outsiders. And Ruth doesn't settle for tentatively lingering by the edges of the field she finds herself in. She asks to glean behind the harvesters, but this is a request the overseer cannot grant himself. He'll have to ask the owner, Boaz. She is taking risks. Driven by the love she has for Naomi, Ruth is challenging biases, resentments, and stereotypes undoubtedly held by many in this community. Now let's zoom into where Ruth found herself. The text says, as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. I love that phrase, as it turned out. The author casually throws this in, but how significant it is that Ruth finds herself in this field. She and the others in the story may not have known it at the time, but surely now, with the benefit of hindsight, we can see God at work here. So who is Boaz then? Right at the beginning of the passage, we hear about him, a relative of Naomi through her deceased husband, Elimelech. This is significant because a big reason why Naomi and Ruth are in the position they are in is that they have, or think they have, no men or family to look after them. While our society no longer creates this situation most of the time, there are other factors in society that can put people in a similar position. For example, lack of access to education, racial discrimination, poor health. We may all either know of or are ourselves people in the kind of situation Naomi and Ruth are in here. In this deeply patriarchal society, these two childless widows would have been destitute and alone. But as readers, we are told that there is a kinsman. This man of standing or man of valor will become very important for Ruth and Naomi. The description of Boaz as a man of standing is worth pausing on. This description tells us he has virtue. He is seen as a godly Israelite, a man of character and courage, with wealth and resources, a leader of the community. Remember, we are in the time of the judges here, and this was a time when people were doing as they saw fit. They were not obeying the law of Moses. 
So what's earned Boaz the reputation as a man of valor? What made him stand out? In Leviticus 19, we can read about a practice known as the law of the field. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. Not everything was supposed to be harvested, so the poorest of society, widows and foreigners, had a means of feeding themselves. In the time of the judges, we should not take for granted that Boaz kept this law and practice in his fields. We also hear Boaz greet those working in his field with, the Lord be with you, and they respond in the same way. Surely he would only get this response from his workers if he treated them well. Further on, we see Boaz had heard about Ruth's commitment towards her mother-in-law, and he refers to this and applauds her when he first addresses Ruth. He says yes to her request to work directly behind the harvesters and invites her to drink from the water jars so she wouldn't have to waste time or walk far. Boaz also instructs his men multiple times not to mistreat her. This is far beyond what Ruth, a foreigner, an outsider to this community, could have expected. We see Ruth is amazed by Boaz's actions here. She lays face down and is amazed that she has found favor with this man, even though she is a foreigner, not owed the kindnesses he has shown. And Boaz doesn't stop here. We see later that he makes sure she eats with them, has leftovers to take to Naomi, and then instructs his men to leave extra for her to glean. He goes beyond the letter of the law, which says to allow Ruth to glean, and instead ensures she and Naomi are fed. He has been inspired by what Ruth has done for Naomi to a higher level of obedience. Boaz responds to Ruth's boldness, her kindness, by providing far more than expected. Note, he hasn't completely resolved her situation. You'll have to come back for Viv and Ruth's sermons to hear what Ruth does next. Through the way he runs his business in the field and addresses Ruth, we see Yahweh is central in this man's life and his interactions. He doesn't follow the letter of the law. He goes beyond it. He welcomes in the foreigner and commands his men to follow his example. All these actions are deeply, deeply counter to the culture he was living in. So we can see that their actions were countercultural for their time. But what else makes Boaz and Ruth's actions stand out here? Ruth and Boaz within this story are signposting to the character of the God who is at work behind the story. What do I mean by this? There's a Hebrew word that best describes what Ruth and Boaz are doing. Chesed. Can you say chesed? No, I can't either. <laughs> Mercy, kindness, lovingness, goodness kind of get towards the meaning but don't quite capture the true essence of the word in English. The best translation is probably loving kindness or loyal love. Reading a book called Borders and Belonging, I found this definition that I particularly liked. This word is often understood in terms of generous and kind acts that an individual chooses to do in favor of another. And while such an act may be towards someone we know or are related to in some way, by blood or ethnicity, for instance, there are most particularly kind acts that are done despite obvious differences and which we are not obligated to perform. This is love in action, shown towards people you may know and love, 
but maybe towards someone unknown, forgotten, or even despised by others. To gauge how important this concept is in the Bible, it appears in the Hebrew Bible 245 times, mostly in the Psalms. Importantly, it appears in God's proclamation of his character in Exodus 34, 6-7. The Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. This is an active and key characteristic of God on display through the people in the book of Ruth. And we see that these acts of chesed have power. Let's look at how our characters started out and how their situation has been transformed by the end of this chapter. At the beginning, Naomi barely says a word. She doesn't warn her daughter-in-law about the dangers of gleaning in the field. It seems she is resigned to the situation she and Ruth find themselves in. By the end, she seems alive, animated, hopeful even. Hearing the name Boaz, a memory seems to click and a family connection is rediscovered. Where she and Ruth have been completely on their own, they now have hope of a kinsman redeemer. From tired and hungry at the beginning of the day, Ruth has eaten well and brought food for Naomi that will immediately nourish her and re-energize her. She also brought home an ephah of barley, which would have weighed about 13 kilograms. Surely this is far beyond what one would have expected from a day of gleaning in a field. They had nothing in the morning and plenty by evening. Ruth, labelled the Moabite, the outsider, has been welcomed into the community, working alongside the women and given protection by Boaz. Boaz, already described as a man of valour, has gone beyond the letter of the law and challenged his community to accept and provide for the foreigner. Can you see the transformation? Small but significant acts of loving kindness and loyal love have brought life. How does that feel to hear? When you think of your life, do you want to bring that kind of transformation? Do you want to signpost to the God at work in all of our lives in your daily life? I'm going to invite the band to come back up. God is always working, but as we've seen from today's text, often there isn't an instant miracle that suddenly changes everything. God partners with us, his people, to bring transformation. Sometimes we feel in a place of plenty, like Boaz, and sometimes we'll feel empty and like we have nothing, possibly a little like Ruth. But God will use what each of us brings to him. This will look different for everyone. God is not going to use me to win basketball games. I've, I've made my peace with that. <laughs> but he will use me in my flat, in my work, when I'm walking to the shops. It might be a smile for someone looking down. Um, it might be cooking a meal for someone. It might be offering a compliment. It might be offering prayer. Acts of loving kindness are noticed and they are so needed. As we lean into acts of generosity as a church this Lent, this may be the perfect time to try doing something, just one thing, that might seem ever so small to you, but could be a miracle for somebody else. How we respond to the unexpected meetings with perhaps unexpected people can make all the difference. 
our community, our world is in need of transformation. And we get to, live, we get to work with the living God to bring it. Through us, God will change lives, and with him we'll find our lives are changed too. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your loving kindness. Thank you for the grace you have for each of us. Thank you that you partner with us to bring your kingdom. Lord, would you highlight people and situations to us as we go about our day to day? May your kingdom come in the small and in in the unexpected moments. Holy Spirit, come and fill us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.